So we're coming off nine weeks in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus taught us all about the kingdom of God, what it is like, and, and what our lives, th- those who inhabit the kingdom, what, what our lives should look like. In an effort to uh, continue our momentum, we're going to spend the next uh, few weeks, the summer weeks, looking at stories Jesus told in His life and in His ministry. Three from Matthew's Gospel and four from Luke's. This series is called the, the Moral of the Story. Additionally, we're going to read through Luke's Gospel together as a church family. This week, we turn our attention to the two stories, uh, short stories, Jesus told in Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The Woodard family just read uh, these stories for us. Jesus used stories with, with images that, that would have been familiar to his audience. For instance, a, a treasure hidden in a field made sense. Many a farmer had experience plowing right through something that had been long buried in the dirt. Likely something left there by an Israelite family, scattered by an Egyptian or a, a Babylonian onslaught, that caused the family to, to get up and to move quickly. Perhaps the family did not survive or, or just could not make it back to get their things. So that which was buried remained. Or the pearl. Now I understand uh, the pearl would have been analogous to the, the diamond for us today, but because diamonds had yet to be discovered, the, the story focuses on a pearl. So the pearl was paramount. So valued, so valued that in John's revelation, he chose to use that very substance to illustrate the gates that allowed entrance into heaven, the pearly gates. These were precious treasures indeed. And the reaction to finding both in the stories was sheer joy, giving up everything in order to have it. One might argue that the result of each of these stories was a, was a person upon finding the treasure of the pearl who became in that instant fulfilled. I think that fulfillment is a good way to describe the goal of discipleship, if you will. Our, our church is just wrapped up putting together a discipleship strategy that you will be hearing much about because I'm going to tell you about it often and I'm excited about it. And In this strategy, we offer a definition for, for what a disciple is. It, it goes like this, one who believes and follows Jesus, one who is being transformed by Jesus, and one who is on mission with Jesus. And indeed, one whose life resembles this is on the path to fulfillment, I believe. John Claypool, a very gifted uh, Baptist preacher who has since passed away, when studying and, and commenting on these stories in Matthew 13, he, he, he said he was always drawn to something that Bernard of Clairvaux, a 12th century French abbot, wrote about uh, helping explain spiritual fulfillment. I, I too remember Bernard's writing from my time in school. Bernard gives four stages to to real spiritual fulfillment, and I want to discuss these with you as a a means of of unpacking the meaning of these stories from Jesus, the, the moral of these stories, if you will. 
Now first, the, the beginning of the four spiritual stages toward fulfillment is love of self for self's sake. This would be characterized uh, by our propensity to store up earthly treasure. Um, narcissism, love of self, self-preservation, and self-actualization for all that it can bring ourselves. This, this posture is precisely what Jesus came to save us from because love of self for self's sake always ends in dissatisfaction. C.S. Lewis recalled being awakened from his sleep in his bachelor days and, and being unable to fall back asleep. It was totally dark in his bedroom at, at Magdalen College. There was no way to perceive anything there in that moment outside of himself. He may as well have been in a black hole, he said. Suddenly he shot up because it occurred to him at that very moment that this, in fact, was the logical conclusion to a self-centered life. So, obviously, the treasure found in the field or the, or the pearl worth more than all other pearls, would, would be valuable to such a person for what it can do for that person. Such a person sees life as the playing field for accumulation and nothing else. Next is, is love of God for self's sake. And here the focus is not totally on self because there's an awareness of God as, as creator and provider. Here, here we love God for, for what God can do for us. Uh, this stage does not ultimately satisfy the needs of our heart, however. Bernard laments that this stage is about as far as humans ever get. And I'm afraid that is true for many in the church in the United States today. Let's ask ourselves, are we simply intent upon getting the Holy Spirit to accomplish for us what is on our own agenda? Such a stance, I'm afraid, only invites God into the picture as the, the owner of the field where the treasure is. God exists as a means to, to give us what we want. Such a view of God is a, a poor reading, I believe, of Psalm 37, 4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. And in a poor reading of this verse, we, we still believe the desires of our heart are, are dictated by us. But Bernard's next phase is a much higher phase that would render for us a more correct reading, I believe, of Psalm 37, 4. This, this phase, the third phase, is love of God for God's sake. Here one realizes that, that God has value, not, not because of what God can do for us, but for who God is. We, we begin to see the treasure as originating from and belonging to God. God's desires for us become our desires. We, we follow Jesus because we want to spend time with Jesus. Our, our affections for Jesus draw us to Him. Our love of God is, is not to necessarily get anything. We, we have a genuine desire to be with and please God. One day recently, Hattie, my three-year-old, our three-year-old, came to me at our dining room table, which is my desk these days. I was working, and she climbed up in my lap. I was busy, but I was thrilled for this most welcome distraction. And I naturally asked her you know, what, what she wanted. And she said she just wanted to sit with me. That's a pretty good memory for a Father's Day morning. Love of God for God's sake is like that. We, we want to be with God for who God is and nothing else. And this brings us to Bernard's fourth stage, 
which is love of self for God's sake. This fourth stage was a bit surprising to me because it rather seems that the love of God for God's sake would be the ultimate, but not according to Bernard, and I find this quite profound. If I asked you whether or not you're talented, the majority of us would would slip into self-deprecation mode. That that would be my instinct as well. However, we shouldn't do that. Self-loathing is not of God. We are to live as if God knew exactly what God was doing when God created us. And we pick this self-loathing up early in life. The belief that I'm not good enough, that there's somebody much better, much smarter, much faster, fill in the blank. This fourth stage, love of self for God's sake, it it frees us up. It it frees us up to truly be disciples of Jesus, to, to focus solely on our place in God's kingdom. Understand this, folks. If If you happen upon the kingdom of God hidden in a field, or if you happen upon the pearl of great value, you can keep it. You're worthy of it. You're worthy of it because you're a child of God, created by God, for God, and and for this world, this world that is God's, to, to help make it more like God intends for it to be until God ultimately makes it exactly as God intended intends for it to be. You're blessed. The kingdom is for you just as it is for everyone else. If if we can understand this and and in turn love ourselves for God's sake, I believe we truly do have the recipe to love one another well. If I'm not incomplete, if I'm not feeling like I'm lacking in life, then I'm not going to use you to feel better about me. I'm free to love you as somebody worthy of this pearl of great value, this this treasure in the field. You're you're someone God made. You having the treasure does not cost me the treasure. The kingdom is not like our world. We talked about it a few weeks ago. The, The world is an economy of scarcity. God's world, the kingdom, is one of abundance. In the message, Eugene Peterson summarizes... 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. It says this, Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. Your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. Tickets to participation in the life of God. I I like that. I love that. And we've all been invited. We've we've all been given access to a ticket. Are, Are you on board with every person in the world being given an opportunity to have a ticket? Are you sure? Do do our lives reflect that we we truly are each person invited to participate in the life of God? Our our task, our very task, is to help one another along in this way. That is the essence of disciples making disciples. I've told you the story before, but it was in a county in Georgia, Fannin County Hospital, where ministers take turns being chaplain for the week. And the old minister took his turn 
that it was his week to watch. And there was a baby born on this particular week. Now, not a lot of babies were born in that little bitty 30-bed hospital. But he went there, and it was about 9 o'clock in the morning, and he saw all these people gather looking through the glass. And there was this little bitty new baby, and it looked like a huge clan of people gathered around the baby. And the pastor said, what is it, a boy or a girl? Well, it's a girl, he heard. Well, what's the name? Elizabeth. Well, is the father over here in the group, the pastor said. No. He looked back over his shoulder and leaning against the wall was a young man who spoke up and said, I'm the father. The preacher said, the baby's name's Elizabeth? Yeah. Beautiful baby. She was squirming, the baby was, and... You couldn't hear through the glass, but it was obvious she was squirming and red-faced and screaming. And the the preacher thought the father might be concerned. And he said, now, she's not sick. It's it's good for babies to to scream and and do all that. It clears out their lungs and gets their voices going. It's it's perfectly all right. And the father said, oh, I, I know. I know she's not sick. But she's mad as you know what. The preacher said, pardon me? He said, it's all right. She's mad. Disciples being disciples, disciples making disciples, disciples multiplying disciples. In northern Georgia, at Fannin County Hospital, the chaplains take turns being the chaplain uh, each week. And this particular week, the old preacher was on watch, and there was a baby born. Not a lot of uh, babies born in that little 30-bed hospital. But he went there. It was about 9 in the morning. And he saw all these people gathered. Looking through the glass, there was this uh, little bitty new baby. And it looked like a a huge gathering of people uh, gathered around the, the window there. And the preacher said, what is it, a boy or a girl? It's a girl, he heard. Well, what's the name? Well, Elizabeth. Well, is the, is the father over here in, in this group? And they said, no. And the preacher looked back over his shoulder, and there leaning against the wall was a young man who's piped up and said, well, I'm the father. The preacher said, baby's name Elizabeth? Yeah. Beautiful baby, the preacher said. She was squirming and you couldn't hear her through the glass, but she was squirming enough and red-faced and, and all like that. And the preacher thought maybe the father was concerned. So he said, now, now she's not sick. It, it's, it's good for babies to scream and, and do all that. It clears out their lungs and it gets their voices going. It's all right, he said. Father said, oh, I know she's not sick, but she's mad as you know what. Then the father said, pardon me, reverend. Preacher said, that's all right. Why is she mad? Father said, well, wouldn't you be mad? One minute you're with God in heaven and the next minute you're in Georgia. Preacher thought, wow, this guy's been reading Plato. Uh, You believe she was with God before she came here, son? Father said, oh, yeah. Preacher said, well, you think she'll remember? Father said, well, that's up to her mother and me. It's up to the church. 
We've got to see that she remembers because if she forgets, then she's a goner. Love of church for God's sake. Love of our community for the kingdom's sake. I, I want everybody to know that God made them and that God loves them, don't you? So let me ask you, do our lives suggest such? such? Let's love ourselves and one another for God's sake.